Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number nine. Wait, what? Isaiah chapter number nine. Isaiah chapter number nine is where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, I'm getting funny looks because they're thinking, well, this is supposed to be Christmas. So just hang with me for a little bit. And so anyway, uh, just a, a little bit of an introduction here on this is that throughout the month of December, we've been looking back at the first Christmas and we've been thinking about Jesus. And our focus has kind of been, uh, even before that, is getting our focus back on Jesus. That's what we're wanting to do. We can get so focused on this world. We can even get focused on uh, religious activities. We can get focused on coming to church and doing these things. And we can, through our preaching and our teaching, get focused on all the different characters and trying to uh, dare to be a Daniel or be brave like Paul and all these different things. But our focus and our motivation should always come back to Christ. And so all of those people that we look to as examples and such, uh, the reason why they are examples is because of Christ and because of what Christ was in their lives. And so we want to get our focus back on Jesus, especially at Christmas time. And so just over the past few weeks since the beginning of December, we saw that uh, Jesus is the greatest Christmas gift. It doesn't matter what you receive for Christmas this year. Uh, Jesus is a greater gift than any of it, uh, better than anything that you can purchase or put on a credit card or anything else. Jesus is the greatest gift, and he is so much more precious than anything that this world has to offer. We then saw that, uh, excuse me, we saw that what he is like and what he does and who he is is much different than what our expectations usually are. He has done things in such a different way than what this world expected, uh, and that has led to many people uh, rejecting him, refusing him, or not fully appreciating him. And I think for us as Christians, a lot of times, the way that he works in our lives and the way that he works in our circumstances aren't what we expect. And so he does things because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our ways, or our thoughts. And so... Uh, we often miss out on fully appreciating him. And so then last week what we looked at was we went and looked at several different uh, people surrounding Jesus' birth. Uh, we looked at five, as a matter of fact, five different people surrounding Jesus' birth. And I believe that each of those people would testify that life is better with Jesus in it. And so as we look at these characters, we saw that Mary said, uh, life is better with Jesus in it because he changed my life completely. He turned her life upside down, took her in a completely different direction. But at the end, she would have said it was completely worth it and my life was better because of him. We saw that the shepherds, uh, life was better with Jesus in it because Jesus gave them value. Yeah. The world forgot about them. The world didn't care about them. They were just lonely shepherds out in, a, out in the field. No one really even knew that they existed probably, but Jesus did. And so the angels came out of all the people in the world, proclaimed his coming to these shepherds, and these shepherds came and were some of the very first people to lay their eyes on the Savior of this world. And so they said, he, he values me. When no one else does, he cares about me, he values me. Then we looked and we saw that the wise men said, life is better with Jesus in it because he is everything I've been searching for. They had spent many hours and many tiresome miles trying to get to Jesus. And whenever they got there, they said, he is worth it all. Every bit that I have 
uh, went through and he is what I was looking for. We saw that Anna, that was an old lady in the temple, she had been looking for Jesus for many years and she laid her eyes on Jesus and she said, life is better with Jesus in it because he's given me something worth telling others about. And so she went about and she told everyone who was looking for redemption in Israel about Jesus. And the last one that we looked at was Simeon. And Simeon said, let me depart in peace having seen Jesus. Life is better with Jesus in it because I can depart this world in peace knowing Jesus. And so what a peace that does bring to us, knowing that our salvation is settled, that our eternity is certain, and that whenever I close my eyes in death, Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so what so many people fear, what so many people try to avoid, uh, we don't necessarily have to hurry into, but whenever it comes, we can embrace it knowing that we have peace with God and we are just transitioning from this home to our true home. And so today what we're going to be looking at is in Isaiah chapter number 9, we're going to look at Jesus here, and we're going to see that he is worthy of our praise. And uh, this is going to be maybe a little bit more of a devotional than a sermon. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But what I hope to do in this for Christmas Day is to bring out a true love and appreciation for who Jesus is and for what he has done, because I find that Jesus is so much more than a baby in a manger. And so Isaiah chapter number nine, we're going to read two verses here, starting with verse number six. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you this Christmas day just thanking you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you so much for the love that you have for us. And honestly, we have very little that we can offer. We have very little uh, that we can give, Lord. But we are thankful, Lord, that we don't have to uh, try to earn or to repay your love or your salvation. And, Lord, we just want to return just a little bit of that to you, Lord, as much as we can in praise and appreciation, love and affection for you. And, Lord, I just appreciate you. I appreciate all that you've done. And, Lord, so much I appreciate your salvation, Lord, that you didn't just come to be a baby in a manger, but you came to be a Savior to take away the sins of this world, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray that you be with us as we look in your word for just a little bit. I pray that it would be an encouragement to those who are here with us here today. And, Lord, I just pray that through this Christmas season we would truly uh, keep you at the forefront, Lord, knowing that you are the reason for the season. But I pray, Lord, as Christmas comes and goes, that we continue to keep you in the forefront of our minds, Lord. And, Lord, that we focus on you, Lord, that we put you, Lord, at that first place in our lives, Lord. And, Lord, we give you prominence that you deserve. And, Lord, just ask you, help me as I preach, guide and direct me in your word, and bless your people here today. We thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. So as we look at this passage here in Isaiah, this is a prophecy of Jesus' coming. This is a prophecy of what we've been looking at in Matthew chapter number 2 and in Luke chapter number 2 of whenever God was going to be enrobed in flesh and that he was going to come down and present himself 
to this world. He was going to live his life uh, as a sinless man and die as a sinless man and as a holy God at the same time, paying the payment, the price for this world. And he has paid the price. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign. And we see that all in this passage today. But whenever people think of Jesus, especially during this season, so many people think only of the baby in the manger. So many people think of him as being the one that was virgin born. They think of the, the shepherds and the wise men. They think of the star. They think of the stable stall. They think of all of these other things, but they have brought Jesus down to the place of just being a cute baby. And what I find in this passage is that Jesus is so much more than that baby in the manger. Some may even associate him with the cross, and they may look at him and they see that he is that one that came in blood and died. In their minds, they picture this kind of emaciated, effeminate form that we often see uh, portrayed in uh, images that people have made and paintings and pictures and such. And all of these things uh, kind of bring together what our imagination of Jesus is. Whether we see him as the baby in the manger, or we might see him as the mild teacher as he's going about with his disciples, or we see him as that, uh, that illustration that's often uh, painted on stained glass windows in different places of this, uh, of this Jesus of people's imagination, I guess we should say. And all of it comes short of who he really is because he is so much more than all of that. I believe one of the reasons why man has so much trouble with uh, coming, uh, coming up with a true idea of who Jesus is, why we focus on these little things, we focus on the pictures that we've seen on television or that we've read in storybooks or that were painted up in Sunday school classes and things like that, I believe one of the reasons why we are so stuck on those things is that our human mind can't comprehend all that Jesus really is. Yes. We find that he is born of God, that he left heaven to, or he is God, excuse me, that he left heaven to be born as a man. He lived a perfect and sinless life that no other person has ever been able to do. He gave us a glimpse of what God was like. Whenever he walked this earth, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And just think about that for a minute, a minute. As we read through the Gospels and we see what Jesus was like on this earth, and if we have seen him, we've seen the Father, we are seeing the very character, the very nature of God manifest in flesh. We are seeing what God is like. And I'll tell you, that's different than what a lot of people imagine God to be like. We find that not only was he a glimpse of God, he was mocked and he was abused by men. It says that he came to his own and his own received him not. And then he offered up himself freely as the uh, payment for our sins, for yours and mine. Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. But he didn't stay dead. And I'm thankful for that. On the third day, he arose from the dead, victorious over death, hell in the grave. And he proved that he truly was God. If he would have just died on the cross, we would have known that he was a man. We would have known that he was a good man. We may even venture to think that he was a perfect man. But the fact that he rose the third day proves that he wasn't merely a man, but that he was God. And so we find that he walked with the apostles after he resurrected. And he showed and proved himself to be alive. And then he told the apostles to go and tell the whole world about the forgiveness, about the salvation that he had purchased and that he had offered. 
And then he ascended up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that he is making intercession for you and for me. He offers up salvation freely to whosoever will. That is all these things. We may think of Jesus as being all this. We may look back through his life and through the Gospels and all these different things. But I'll tell you, he is still so much more than that. If he is just a historical Jesus that has done all these things, if he is just a faraway Jesus that is up in the heavens, then we have missed out on who he really is. And so as we look at this passage in Isaiah, I said earlier it was a prophecy concerning his coming, but it also tells us that he was so much more than a baby. In Isaiah chapter 6, For unto us a child is born, Okay, we understand that. We know what Christmas is. We know about the baby. We sung the songs already. But he was more than a child. It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And not only is he the son of Mary, he's more than just the one born of a woman, but he is the son of God. But we go going down through this, it says that he, his name shall be called Wonderful. You ever said and meditate on that for just a minute or two, that Jesus is going to be called wonderful? Have you ever thought about how wonderful Jesus really is? Just the things that I've mentioned already this morning about him coming and living a sinless life, God enrobed in the flesh, living and walking and teaching and eating and all these things amongst human beings, and then dying in our place, the creator being uh, abused by the creation, giving his life, crying from the cross, Father, forgive them, all of these things that he has done, and then giving his life, being raised up the third day victorious, and giving salvation to whosoever will. That would qualify him as wonderful, wouldn't it? He is a wonderful Savior. He is wonderful. And just the word there itself, just making it very simple, full of wonder full of wonder. You can sit and you can meditate, you can think on the attributes of Christ, on the attributes of God, on who he is, on what he does, and what that means for you and I, and we can sit in wonder for a long time just thinking about the goodness of God. And that'd be something good for us to do throughout this Christmas season, is setting in wonder, thinking about the goodness of God and who he is for us. But it doesn't just say that he is going to be called wonderful, but he's also going to be called counselor, counselor. And so he is the source of all wisdom and all of knowledge. And so he knows everything. He sees everything. He is everywhere. And he knows everything about us. The Bible tells us that the very hairs on our head are all numbered. And he tells us that we are more value than many sparrows. And so with this, we see the knowledge, the understanding of God, but whenever it says that he is a counselor, a counselor is someone who counsels. It is someone who guides, someone who directs, someone who gives vision and all of these things. And he does that for our lives. And he is not some distant and far away God, but he is an ever present God and Savior. And we find that he is a counselor for us. And so if we're ever confused or if we're ever uncertain, if we don't know which way to go, if we don't know what to do, the Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth freely and upbraideth not. Giveth liberally and upbraideth not. And so we see that he is a counselor for us. 
And there's plenty of times that I need counsel, that I need guidance, that I need direction, especially in this crazy world and not knowing what to do. And so he is a counselor. He gives us guidance. Says that he is the mighty God and the everlasting Father. How often do we separate Jesus and compartmentalize the Godhead and we make it almost as if Jesus is second class. He's the assistant God almost. We find a hierarchy in our minds about who Jesus is. But whenever we see this in scripture, that he is the mighty God, he is the everlasting father. He's not second in command. He's not inferior to God. He is God. We can try to understand the Trinity. We can try to tear it apart and dissect it in different ways. We can try to illustrate it and define it, but we're still going to come up short because of who he is. We're not going to be able to comprehend this. He's too wonderful, right? Yes. But we do know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. They are equal, and they are in agreement. So what does that mean for us? It means that Jesus isn't up in heaven trying to talk God into liking us. He's not up in heaven trying to win God over for us as if uh, he is the, the, the lady trying to sell, the, her, sell her boyfriend on the Father. That's not what's going on. I know in the Bible we find the illustration of Jesus being the bridegroom and us being the bride. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't up in heaven trying to make God like us. If Jesus loves you, God loves you because Jesus is the mighty God. So if you have this idea that Jesus loves me but God tolerates me, you got some bad theology going on because he is the mighty God. He is the Father. We find also here in Isaiah chapter number nine that it says that he is the prince of peace. And if there's anything that we need in this world today, it's peace. The world is more divided than it's ever been. It's constantly, there's wars, there's rumors of wars. There is so much going on, so much fighting. And it's not even just in the world. It's amongst churches. It's amongst Christians. And there is no peace. Everywhere that we go, there is constant conflict. There's constant struggle and troubles and trials and things that is going on. But the Bible tells us that he is the prince of peace. And one of these days, he's coming back to this earth. He will rule and reign as the perfect king over the perfect kingdom. And it says to his peace, there will be no end. And so one of these days, there will be peace. We'll be looking for it until he comes back. People are going to constantly be pursuing peace. They're going to be signing peace treaties. They're going to try to be making peace with everything about them. But the only source of peace is the Prince of Peace, and that's Christ. But for this time being, we know that, that in the future that there's going to be peace. But even if we look within, we know there's never going to be peace without. But how often do we struggle with peace within? Even if we can isolate ourselves from all the troubles of the world, if we can separate ourselves from all the conflict and other issues, if we were just barricaded in a room by ourselves with no one else to be in conflict with, there's still going to be a lack of peace because there's a battle that rages within our own minds and in our own hearts. There's fears, there's anxieties, there's guilt, there's shame. There's all kinds of things that is in ourselves. Even if we can get Satan to leave us alone for a little while and quit being the accuser of the brethren, even our own flesh will convict us and will condemn us, and there is still no peace. But we find that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And as we read through the scripture, we find that through him we have peace 
with God. All the things that the accuser accuses us of, he has taken care of. He has reconciled us with the Father. He has taken care of all those things that we are feeling guilty of. It says that we are accepted in the beloved. And so whenever we start thinking that no one loves us, that no one cares, and there's a trouble and trials going on in our heart, we find that Jesus loves us, that he accepts us, that he has forgiven us, that he wants to be with us, that he's constantly inviting us to be near him and him to be near us, and that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so what peace is there whenever we realize that God loves us that way, that he cares for us that way, that he has made peace with God, and that we can make peace even with our own selves in all of this. Whenever our own heart and our own mind condemn us, we know that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's peace. So he is the Prince of Peace. And so going onward with this, we find that there are so many other things in the Bible that he says that he is. We can go beyond Isaiah, and we find that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion. A lot of people have the idea that Jesus is love, and it's all love and tenderness and all these things, that it's as if there is no toughness, there is no strength to him, as if he is some sort of a sissy or some kind of emasculated being. But here's the thing. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has all strength. He all, has all power. And for those who do not belong to him, he is fearsome, and he is awesome, and he is strong. But not only is he the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's also the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Imagine God, imagine Jesus being not only the lion, but also being the lamb. And so he takes away the sins of the world. He is the ultimate sacrifice and he cleanses me. That's what that sacrifice does. It covers all my sins. And so look at this. This is all the things that Jesus is. He is so much more than the baby. So he's the Lamb of God. But not only is he the Lamb, he is also the Good Shepherd. The Bible tells us that he gives his life for the sheep. That's what we've been talking about already, isn't it? He gives his life for the sheep, but he also values one so much that he would leave the 90 and 9 and seek out that one that has went astray. We find in the 23rd Psalm that he leads us beside uh, the still waters, that he makes us to lie down in green pastures, that he restores our soul. He is the good shepherd. It tells us, yea, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the good shepherd is with me says he prepares the table before me in the, in the sight of my enemies, in the presence of my enemies. Even whenever I am surrounded by those who would do me harm, that I can still feast in peace and in comfort, knowing that he is there, he won't forsake me, because he is the good shepherd and he gives his life for the sheep. And so there are so many things with this illustration of the shepherd that it tells us that he is, but it should be a great comfort for us knowing that he is the good shepherd. We find that there are several different statements that he makes of uh, I am. He tells us I am this, I am that. And that is a reference back to whenever Moses was in, uh, in the wilderness, whenever God was speaking to him out of the burning bush. And Moses says, who do I tell these people 
who do I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. And whenever Jesus walked on this earth, he was constantly making statements, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the way. And so we find all these different statements that he makes saying that I am. And that is a present tense. That means that he's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He's not stuck in the past or in the future, but he is a very present help in the time of trouble. And so we find that he is always with us, that he is the alpha. He was there from the beginning. He is the omega. He will be there in the end. There was none before him. There will be none after him. He always will be. He is the great I am. And so whenever we look at him being the great I am, we find that he is everything that we need. Whenever there is a need in our life, he can fill it. Whenever there is trouble in our minds, he can bring peace. And so whatever it is that we need, I am. And he is all that we need. He tells us, I am the door. That means that we have access. That means that whenever we are outside, whenever we are alienated, when we are separated, when we were separated from God, he was the door that let us in. People are seeking to get in by many different ways. They are looking to get in by many different means. They are trying to come in by their good works and by their religion. They are trying to appease God in many different ways. But Jesus says, I am the door, and he is the only door. He is the only way. And so that brings us to the next thing here. He says, I am the way. And so if you don't know where you're going or if you don't know how to get there, he is the way. He gives us direction. He makes the ways clear. He makes our path straight. And so he is the way. And let me add this. He is the only way. And so if we're looking for other ways, if we're looking for other doors, you're going to find none because he is the only one. He also says that he is the truth. I am the way, the truth. And so in a world where truth is relative, where people say, well, I don't believe that. That's not what I think is right. What I believe is this. What I He is the truth. And so there's all kinds of different ideas about what, what's true and what's not true. There are many different people who are presenting themselves to be one way whenever they're another way. And we don't know what is true and what's false, what's real and what's not, because some people are very good at faking it. But here's the thing. He is the truth and we can rely on him. We can put our faith and trust in him because everything about him is true. It is sincere. It is good. It is honest. It is right. And so there is no way that we're going to come up to the end of this and find out that he has ever lied to us because the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. But in God, it is impossible for him to lie. He is the truth. And so when things are looking dark, we find that he is the light. You ever just felt like the world was getting darker and darker and further and further away from God? We find that he is the light. And so whenever things are looking dark, you need to hold fast to him because he is the light. So if you chase the world's methods to try to feel alive, you're always going to come up short. But we find that he is also the life. And the Bible tells us that he came that we may have life 
and that we may have it more abundantly. In this world, people will try everything it has to offer, and we're going to find that they're going to go in the ways of death. They're going to find all these things that leave them empty, find life being meaningless, but Jesus is the source of life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. For the lonely, we find that he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Whenever we feel as if the world has betrayed us, whenever people don't care about us, whenever we feel isolated and alone, he is that friend. We find that uh, everyone may abandon us, but it says that he will never leave us or forsake us. Sometimes it might feel like he is far away, but you can rest assured that he is always there and that he'll never abandon you because guess what? He is the truth as well. And he has promised in his word, he will not forsake us. He will not leave us. And so he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one that will never leave us or forsake us. We find that whenever we are messed up, whenever we have went the wrong direction, whenever we have sinned and come short, we find that he is also our advocate. He is on our side. He's in our corner. He is pleading our case. He is our mediator. Whenever we are separated from God because our sins, the Bible tells us that our sin separates us from him. He is the one that brings us back together with God. He is our mediator. He's also my redeemer. He paid a price for what I lost. In the Old Testament and throughout the Jewish culture, we find that whenever people got indebted in some way, they had to sell their parcel of land, that someone related to them, a family member, could come and buy back what they lost. And guess what? In Adam, we were all made sinners. Because of our sin, we were separated from God. Because of that, we lost that relationship. But Jesus became a man of our race, related to us, so he could redeem us that he could buy back what we lost. And that's what he did. He is our redeemer. He paid that price for me. He is my savior. He rescued me from death. In this life, if we are in danger, if we are in peril and someone rescues us, if you're in a ship out on the sea and your engine dies and you have no way of getting back to shore and someone comes and they rescue you, they become your savior, right? And we were as a ship without a sail. Our engines were dead. Our rudder was broken. We had no way of getting to God. And Jesus came and became our Savior. He reconciled us with a Father. He paid, paid for our sins. He covered up all those things. He bought us back with his blood. He is our Savior. We find that he is my rock and he is my foundation. He is solid. He is stable. He is dependable. We can stand firm on him. We can build our lives on him. We find also that he is the fairest of 10,000. There's a lot of passages in scripture talking about his beauty. And it's not his beauty as, uh, as a human being, but it is his beauty for who he is and for his character and what he does for us. And it says that he is the fairest of 10,000. He is the lily of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the bright and morning star. Whatever the night is the darkest, the first star that breaks out and it brings light to us, that's Jesus. Amen. He is the light that shines forth in darkness. He is that daylight that comes into our lives. He is that hope of a new day. The Bible says he's altogether lovely. We find that he is my hope. He is my joy. We find he is my future because I would have none without him. Without him, I would be lost. I would have no hope. I would be destined for hell for all eternity. But because of him, I have a future. 
He is my constant companion and my guide. He makes my life worth living, and he takes the fear out of dying. And so we could go on and on about all the things that Jesus is. There are so many different things that we have not even begun to scratch the surface of as we find throughout Scripture. All of the things that Jesus is, but I'll tell you, he is so much more than a baby in a manger. He is so much more than we often make him out to be or compartmentalize him to be. But what we find here is he is so much more than we can imagine. But I think that it is worth us looking into, worth us looking at and seeing all the things that he is, all the things that he's done. Because this season of all seasons, we think about Jesus. We consider about him coming to this world. We just focus on him for a little while for who he is and what he has done. And we should be welling up with love, with appreciation, with praise for such a one as him. He's not merely a baby that deserves our attention, but he deserves it all. Peter sung there before we got started, I have decided to follow Jesus. Why wouldn't we, def why wouldn't we decide to follow one such as him? With all that he is, why would we neglect him? Why would we choose to live without him? Because he is everything to me. And I am so glad that he is my Savior. I am so glad that he is my Lord. I am so glad that he is my friend. Have you ever considered that? That he is a friend to us. You might have very few friends in the world. You may have poor friendships in this world. But what a friend we have in Jesus. He is so much more than just a baby. And so I hope that we can focus on that, that we can meditate on that, we can think on that for just a little bit on how much more he is than just that baby. I'll say finally that he is the righteous judge. He is the one that is able to come down to this earth and set all things right. He is the one that mankind will give an account to one of these days. And he has forgiven my sins. He has wiped my account clean. As the old song says, the old account was settled long ago. But for anyone who rejects him, anyone who refuses his offer, anyone who snubs his gift of eternal life, one day they will pay for their own sins because they rejected his payment. Why they would ever do that, I don't know. He is so much more than a savior. He is so much more than a baby. But if he is not your savior, he can be today. If he's not your savior, you don't recognize all these things. You may see him as a baby. You may see him as that guy hanging on the cross. But here's the thing. He can be yours. And so this would be a great Christmas if you don't know him as your savior. Call upon him while you may. Because he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you'll never regret it because he is so much more than you'll ever imagine. So I just want to close this, this thought here by asking you all, what is he to you? Out of all the things that I've mentioned today, and I'd like a response if anyone would. Out of all the things that I've mentioned today, out of all the things that scripture says, out of the things that life has shown you that he is. What is Jesus to you?
He's a good comforter. Hope. He's hope. Yes. So much hope, right? Yes, there's so much hope. There's hope. As she says, that's the word I was about to bring up. I think yesterday, I'm so sorry, maybe yesterday I was just at home trying to reflect back on how the, this year just passed on. And it really brings me in the in the in the thought that why why do I still here? Mm-hmm. Was the reason for being given that chance of being here when there was so many people passed away, so many troubles, but again there was there was this the boss saying. There is hope. That's Jesus. There is hope. That's why you're still there because there is hope. Mm-hmm. And and then I went through my my notes and my book just to to see and try to to learn much about what has been going on. And truly speaking, as you ask the question, it will be what Sarah has. This hope. Hope. Yes, we. I may lose everything. I may go through a lot of things. I may. I may come to wrong decisions, mm-hmm. but I still have hope. Someone's looking out for me. I can still go and confess my sin and get forgiveness. Very good. He is faithful. So I'm glad for that. I tell you, there's very, very few people, very few things in this world that you can count on. But you can count on him. He's faithful. My life. What is it? My life. My life, yes. He gives purpose, doesn't he? Reason. I want to be peace. Peace. I can't tell you how many times that things have went on here or back home or with even church people. And I get all in a mess. Inside, just thinking things, and oh no, 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 and the Lord gives me peace. Not saying it's always going to go my way. It'd be nice if it did, but <laughs> peace. Just in that idea of peace, uh, I resonate with the idea of the whole thing of the the battles, the troubles that go on inside. Yeah, uh, because. Whether I show it or not, there is constantly battles that are going on and waging in me and different things like that. And whenever I am condemning myself, whenever I'm not happy or pleased with myself, I can go back to the Word of God and I can see that I am accepted in the Beloved. I may not accept myself all the time, but He accepts me. That I may not be pleased with myself, but He's pleased with me. That I may be condemning myself but there is therefore no condemnation to those who are, I love those passages of the scripture because they do bring peace. And I know that I have peace with God and that I may not measure up to myself a lot of times, yeah. but I'm not measuring up to anyone mm-hmm. that he loves me and he is working in me. Mm-hmm. He is transforming and changing me. It may be slow because I'm stubborn and hard headed sometimes, but I'm thankful that he is patient. That's something I didn't bring out. He's long-suffering. Aren't you glad that he's long-suffering? Mm-hmm. He's patient with us. 
We can do a lot of dumb things. We can be stubborn. And he still puts up with us. Thankful for all these things. Anything else? Certainly has been. I've enjoyed it. Me too. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Let's thank Him for all that He is. And uh, we can still hang around in fellowship or whatever. But uh, just appreciate the singing. I appreciate all the thoughts and everything today. And I appreciate the thought the Lord's laid on my heart about how much more He is. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we thank you so much for this time. And Fellowship with your people, Lord. We just pray, asking you, Lord, help us, Lord, just to take this and meditate upon it. Think through your word. Think of all the things that you are. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that you give, for the peace that you give, for all these other things that's been brought out. And, Lord, we just pray that you be with uh, our time and fellowship one with another. Lord, help us not to take you for granted. Help us, Lord, to just continue uh, delving into this idea of who you are, Lord, because I think it's a tra- it's a uh, a mind that we can never exalt, Lord, a treasure that we can never spend up, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for all that you are. Praise you for it, Lord. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.